Jesse, that was great. On Wednesdays of each week at Vision Way Christian School, a member of the staff gives devotions for everyone else, and they invite the church staff to be part of that as well. And every Wednesday, I intend to be there at 8 o'clock, which is about three minutes earlier than we usually get on campus to bring my daughter to school. And I've been there once since school started. Some calamity always happens on Wednesday morning, and I don't really understand why. This Wednesday morning, um, I had a breakfast meeting, got home at 7.43. Now, we live like 13 seconds from church, okay? So I thought, today is my day. I'm going to be at devotions. And so we left, and I was taking my oldest daughter to the high school, and about halfway there, my youngest daughter said, Dad, I forgot my book bag. And I thought, okay, that's really no big deal, because we can just circle back and get it. I'll get there at 7.55, no problem. So took the oldest daughter to high school, came back home, walked up to the door, pulled out my keys and I didn't have a key to the house. And I remembered that the day before, I had given my key to our oldest daughter because she was going to come home before us, and it was on the counter in the kitchen where I could see it. (laughs) But it wasn't going to do me much good. And there I was thinking, okay, we've got sort of cross purposes here because I really, really would like to make it to devotions, and I could just take Lily to school and get her book bag later, but the problem was she was going to worry about that book bag until it was in her hands because that's the kind of kid she is. And so I recognized at that moment there's either going to be conflict or I'm going to miss devotions yet again. I opted for missing devotions that day. You know, we come to that. We come to those moments in our families when there's going to be conflict because our agendas are competing, right? One person says, hey, I really need to get to these devotions today. And one person says, I really need my book bag, so I'm not worried about where it is when I go to class. Have you ever been there, right? It's about money sometimes. How are we going to spend our money? Are we going to buy this house that we like, or are we going to buy this car that we really like? And who gets to decide? Are we going to buy the clothes for this child this month, or are we going to buy clothes for this child this month? And they both need them. How's that going to go down? How are we going to spend our money? How are we going to spend our time? That's a big one in our culture. When we're so busy, there's so many things going on, and we come to a moment in the life of our family when there are two cars and there are three places to be. How do you make that happen? Competing agendas. And as much as we love our families, sometimes it is our families and where we have the most conflict in our lives because we live the closest and our competing agendas collide more often than they do with anybody else and so the question is what do we do with that we as christians want to have strong families we want to be people who who have devoted ourselves to family and yet we find that at times It's not a very easy thing to do because it is a potential source for great conflict. So how do we work this through? You know, this has been part of our mission and vision. The elder said a church which loves others strengthens 
families. That should be part of who we are. And so we're thinking over the course of these five weeks, what does a church that loves others look like? Well, part of it is a church that loves others is going to help families to grow. It's going to help them strengthen their bonds. So over time, the influence of the church will be to make these families better, stronger, closer. So how do we do that? How do we as family members find ways to deal with the conflicts that, that are there and develop the relationships that we know are really needed? And then how do we as a church help our families to grow in those relationships? I want us to think about that this morning. And to do that, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. What we ha- find in Ephesians 5 is what's called in the ancient world a household code. And so religious teachers like Paul, who wrote Ephesians, or moral philosophers, when they came to to a point in their moral philosophy that they wanted to talk about family, what they wrote was, okay, this is how this person in the family is to conduct him or herself, and then this is how this person does so, and this person, and this person. They went right down the line, and everybody had an assignment. Now, most of the household codes in the ancient world said, hey, dad is in charge, And everybody does what he says. Now, I know some people in the room are liking that at the moment. But that's not what Paul said. Paul worded it very different. He had a different approach than most of the Roman and Greek philosophers of his day. And we find his approach beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, some of the translations, remember that all those headings that we find in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the headings that appear in different parts of Scripture were added for our convenience by the translators. So Paul didn't write any of those. Moses wrote none. Luke wrote none. It was all just one big you know, line of text, just like we find in most of the books we read. And so this has been added so we can find things easier. Now, where do you put those breaks so you can put a heading? Well, it's not always as straightforward as you might think. Some of the translations have a break between verse 21 and 22. And it says, after verse 21, household code. The problem with that is we come to the household code and we really don't pay much attention to what came before or what comes after, and we miss verse 21. And I think verse 21 gives the context for the whole household code that we read beginning in verse 22, okay? And it's this, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, when we begin thinking about family, what Paul is saying is this, you've got to submit to one another in your family. If you want to have a healthy family, if you want to have relationships that are going to grow, if you want things that are going to deepen, then the first step is to submit to one another. Why? Because we're followers of Jesus. What does that have to do with anything? Well, as followers of Jesus, we love each other. We care about each other's needs. And he's going to bring this out in a minute. Just as Christ cared about our deepest needs, forgiveness and eternal life. And the first step to healthy, growing relationships in a family is mutual submission. Now in that context, Paul begins to speak to wives 
And in our culture, many people have decided that this whole passage is outdated. But I think if we begin with the right context, verse 21, then we understand more of where Paul's going and we can see how it applies to us. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands. That's a good idea, not someone else's husband. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I think that passage has been misused a lot in our culture and really since Paul wrote it. Because some people have taken that passage and says, okay, what that means is just what the Roman and Greek philosophers said, the husband is in charge and the wife has to do everything the husband says to do. But we miss the way that Paul describes the relationship when we say it like that. Paul says it should be the kind of relationship that the church has with Jesus. Now we as the church, we say that the head of this body and the head of the whole body, the church, is Jesus. And because of that, Jesus directs us. Jesus leads us. But we follow because of what Christ has done for us, right? Christ isn't a, sort of an autocrat, a dictator, who just tells the church to do arbitrary things because he wants to see us do them. We can be sure that when Christ asks us, the church, to do something, it will always be the best thing for us. Because Christ was willing to give up everything for us. Christ was willing to give up his place in the presence of God to come and live among us. And Christ was willing to go to a cross and die there for me and for you. And because Christ was willing to do all of that, that is the Lord and Savior that we serve. And because of that, it's easy to submit to the will of Christ because I know he is always going to give for me in ways that I could never imagine. Now, if we frame marriage in that kind of discussion and sort of in the context of mutual submission, what Paul says here to me makes perfect sense. And then he goes on to describe the kind of husband that this wife is called to submit to, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, just as we were saying, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And let me add this. I know it's not on the screen. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You see, this works when you have the kind of man who is willing to give himself to his family. The problem is when we take any one of these commands in this household code and we pull it out and we say this is the way a family should operate, the whole thing falls apart. Because if you have a man who is only interested in himself and his comfort and getting his way, this whole system disintegrates. If you have the kind of man that's described here, then the family can work together. 
if it's in the context of mutual submission, if it's in the context of the kind of love that Christ has for the church, then this scheme that Paul has given us for a family works really, really well. The problem is when we take little pieces of it and try to do that without the whole. So Paul is describing this man, and you can go down further and read the rest of that down to the end of chapter 5 where Paul goes back and forth between his understanding of the church and his understanding of the family, and he just continues to apply Christ's self-giving love to us. Now, it's interesting that Paul doesn't just say, okay, spouses, here are the instructions on the way that your marriage should work. He does give a different instruction to wives than he does to husbands. Why does he do that? Because we're different in case you haven't noticed, all right? We do have different needs, and and these are generalizations. I mean, we can find exceptions to lots of rules, but in general, we do have different emotional needs as men and women. And, and, And most men, I think, in their marriages really want to know that their wives respect them, that their wives look to them and think, you know, I'm really glad I'm married to this kind of man who provides for his family, who can do stuff. And we're all good at different things, but who can do stuff. We like for our wives to look up to us, to have respect. And I think wives really want the love of their husbands to know that this husband loves me more than anyone else. And when we have a marriage that operates under those kinds of of conditions, then what Paul has to say here works really, really well. But he doesn't leave out the kids either. Chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now here again, we have to sort of put this in context of all that Paul is saying here. If you've got a child whose parents really don't care anything about God's instruction, then those parents may ask them to do stuff that is not consistent with the kind of life that is described in Scripture. So what does Paul say? Children... Obey your parents in the Lord as it is consistent with what Scripture calls for. Honor your parents, Scripture says. Obey your parents, Scripture says. And Paul knows that if we do this, it usually goes well. Because, remember the kind of parents we're talking about here the ones just described in chapter 5, in their marriage. But if we apply all that to parenting, then we've got parents who love their children just like Christ loved the church. And again, Christ would only ask of us what's very best for us to be the right kind of people, to be in His will. So if you've got parents who operate under those conditions, then a child can certainly obey them, and this promise works out completely. It's going to go well because your parents are going to tell you to do what's the very best thing for you. See, what Paul says here really does work itself out into real life. 
And then he speaks to fathers. And I, and I don't know why he gives this one command to fathers. Do not exasperate your children. Men, have you ever exasperated your children? I am guilty. I can tell you. And there's been moments when it's been very unintentional, you know. There's been moments when I've just not been a great dad. It's frustrating. It's frustrating when we look back and say, man, I just completely blew that whole interchange there. Whether it was a, a conversation or a moment of discipline or whatever it was. I look back on that, and I didn't guide my child in the right way. All I did was frustrate them. You know, those moments when they come to you and say, hey, my sister, my brother is driving me crazy, and they did this, and you say, don't tattletale, right? And then they go and try to deal with it on their own, and they get in trouble, and we say, you should have just come to me, and I would have worked it out, right? It's exasperating. And I know I've done that. But again, it goes back to being a parent like Jesus. Mutual submission. Now, what does that mean in parenting? And we can sort of figure that out in a marriage relationship, but our kids don't know as well as us most of the time. And yet, so often we as parents submit to the needs of our children because we love them and want to supply their basic needs and even far beyond their basic needs because we care. So if we take all of what Paul says here and the way we've thought about it today, what would we say? What would be something we could take home with? A simple way to say that is in healthy families and maybe families that are growing toward health, however you want to word that, people put others first. Family members put each other first. It goes back to verse 21, mutual submission. And Paul is really describing here a family that says, hey, each person is going to put everybody else first. That's hard work, right? I mean, it's hard to do that because I like certain things to be certain ways in our family. And sometimes I have to say, you know what, that works great for me, but it may not work so great for a six-year-old. It may not work so great for a 14-year-old. And maybe it doesn't work so great for my wife. And so we have to be intentional about noticing the needs of the people in our families. Really seeing, okay, how does this work from his perspective, from her perspective? What does this look like? And how can I intentionally put the needs of my spouse, my children, maybe my parents, maybe my grandchildren, grandparents, because some of us live together in extended families. How can I live in such a way that what I do shows that they are more important than what I want? And so the way we spend our money and the way we spend our time may change. One simple statement I think that can help us in this don't keep score. Man, it's so easy to do, right? Well, I, 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 I uh, cleaned out the dishwasher, put the dishes up every day last week. Can't you do it just this once? There were towels in the floor. 
every day for the past three days. Can't you pick them up just this once? Every time we go shopping, you get this, 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 and this. Can it be different? Every time we think that way, when we keep score, we are going to find ways to see that everybody else is doing better than we are. Put the score pad away. You know, we all bring different things to the relationship. We all give in different ways, and the giving at times will be uneven. And there will be times in marriage and parenting and being a child where we will be called on to give more than our fair share. And what we call that is life. Because there's sickness and there's struggle and there's pain. And it's all part of parenting. And the question is, are we willing to do the hard work of being in a family? Now, we had a vision team that, that talked about this. And they made some suggestions, I think some really good ones. One of them was, you know, we need some classes on parenting and we need some classes on marriage. We've done a little bit of that. We need to do a lot more of that. How do we live in families? How do we create these healthy relationships? They talked about the need for more intergenerational activities, and I agree with that 100%. It is good for us not to be, you know, only among people our own age. It is good for those lines to cross and us to have exposure to people who have more wisdom because of their age than us and maybe have exposure to a whole different world because they are younger than us. We need each other is what we're saying here. And I hope there are some ways that we can work on that as a church to bring us together and to share in our lives. They also talked about the need to have opportunities for young couples to connect, and that's so huge. You know, when you've got kids and you need to just talk to some other adults, that's something we can work on as well. Now, to bring this to, to a close today, you should have a blank card in your bulletin today. If we'll pull that out. I want to piggyback on sort of an activity that was used last Sunday night during the prayer journey. And I uh, just want to say to the prayer team, that was a great evening. Those of you who were here, I know you'll feel the same way. But what I'd like for you to do is take out a pen or a pencil or a crayon or whatever you got there with you. And on the first side, well, whichever is the first side, I don't know, one of those sides. Think about this. I want you to write one word. What is the one word that you think, if, you, if your family, and maybe it's family that lives away or here or family you live with, or maybe they're across town, I don't know, whatever your situation, what is the one word that if your family had a meeting today, said, this is the word we would use to describe you, mom, dad, brother, sister, grandparent, grandchild, whatever role you fill. What is the one word they would use to describe you in the past week? What would it be? Write it down. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's not so great. Just be honest. What's the one word they would use to describe you in the past seven days? Now, maybe that's a moment, and it is for me in some ways, for, for repentance or recognition that it's not the word you would want them to use. 
on the other side. What's the one word that you would like them to use this coming week? What word would you really like for them to use to describe who you are this week? And what needs to change to make it possible for them to use that word? Maybe you're right where you want to be. Maybe the word that you use, same word on either side. If you're there, that's awesome. I'm glad you feel that way. I'm glad you, you feel like that's where you are as a person. That's good. Maybe for some of the rest of us, the words are not the same. And we know that if, if there's going to be a change, there's got to be a change in me and in my heart and in my words and in my actions. What needs to change? Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for our families. Some of us have family living right with us. Others have family a long way away. Maybe family that they miss. But God, we pray whatever role we fill, you'll help us to see the need to put others first in our family, to follow this guideline that Paul has given us for healthy families. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.